You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Psalm 30, written by David, is a classic example of a psalm of thanksgiving. The psalm speaks of a situation in which a sufferer has passed through a dark period of crisis and now finds himself in the bright light of safety. As verse 5 says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with morning. As one commentator has noted, the psalmist moves from mourning, M-O-U-R-N, to mourning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, from darkness to light. What was the crisis faced by the psalmist? Well, it could very well have been an illness. However, the language used may also be understood in a poetic rather than a literal sense. God healed me, raised up my soul, restored my life. This allows believers in every generation to pray and sing this psalm anew, using it to reflect on any number of crises we can face over a lifetime. Now, there are four main stanzas in this psalm. First, verses 1 to 3 is the introductory praise and thanksgiving for deliverance and restoration. And then verses 4 to 5 is the call for the community to join in praise. So even though the psalm is the prayer of an individual, a corporate setting is implied. Notice that God is a just God who gets angry at his people when we sin. The good news is found in verse 5. His anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As Psalm 103 tells us, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Then the next section is verses 6 to 10. Uh, That's a flashback to the time of crisis before the psalmist is delivered. Notice when David had everything going his way, he had false hope in his circumstances. It took a life-shattering event to dislodge this false hope. We cultivate true hope by repeatedly saying thank you to God for his blessings, for the good we see and the good we have. This section ends with a quotation of a prayer for help prayed during the crisis. And then the final stanza is verses 11 to 12, the concluding praise and thanksgiving. Did you notice the series of contrasting polarities in this psalm? There's a bunch of them. Distress, deliverance, anger, favor. I cried, you healed. Night, day, I went down, you raised up. Moment, lifetime, morning, dancing, sackcloth, rejoicing, Sing, be silent. The psalm tells the story of going into trouble and then coming up out of trouble. According to Walter Brueggemann, verses 4 to 5 are a general invitation to the community to join in the praise because the thanks are more than one individual person can adequately render. The key verb is hadah, give thanks which means a confessional acknowledgement of who it is that has given the new life, 
The Hebrew word means literally to throw or to cast, indicating gestures accompanying the act of giving thanks, giving law, giving praise. It can also refer to placing thank offerings on the altar. Thanks is more than just being grateful. In thanking God, the psalmist is making a commitment to the one who has brought him from disorientation, anger, weeping, to a new orientation, favor, and joy. The psalmist doesn't deny that there's been trouble, but the trouble has been powerfully overcome. The move from weeping to joy is as reliable as the move from night to daybreak. The theme of praise rings throughout. This is a psalm of praise and a psalm about praise, which is why it's included in our Lenten sermon series on practicing saying thank you as a community of faith. The Apostle Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's God's will for us to say thank you. So let me share three reflections on what Psalm 30 teaches us about saying thank you. First, this psalm makes it clear that the practice of thank you is just that, a practice. It's something we learn how to do. That's why one of the first things we train our children to do is to say thank you. It's it's not something that comes naturally. Here in the psalm, David recalls a time in his life when he forgets to show how thankful he is, even when things are going well for him. Remember how Eugene Peterson put it, when things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. But his internal feeling of gratitude is never translated to external action. So, so when his circumstances change for the worse, he's dismayed. Gratitude is both a disposition and an act. Feeling grateful isn't enough. There needs to be action as well. So don't just be thankful, act thankful. Second, gratitude does not need to depend on our circumstances. Certainly it's easier to be grateful when things are going well. But Psalm 30 makes it clear that we can say thanks to God even when we face challenging circumstances. Notice verse 3. It says, O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. Sheol was the place of the dead. Likewise, the pit was the grave. The idea of the pit came from the image of a well or cistern where water was collected. So a faithful translation could be the modern idiom of things going down the drain. In other words, Sheol and the pit refer to places of despair and death. But there's some good news here. As my friend Erica wisely pointed out to me, God doesn't forget about us even when we're in the pit. God still remembers us and is able to bring us up and restore us to life. As Psalm 23 tells us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
you are with me. God's love reaches across the widest gulf, and he walks alongside of us, even when we're in the deepest valley. Now, let me be clear. To say that God can still act in the midst of tragedy and despair does not mean that the situation is not truly bad. Tragedies are just that, tragic. It's not helpful to ignore reality and pretend that things are not as bad as they really are. It's not helpful to say to someone, don't be sad. Your cancer is all part of God's plan. You know, I, I, I truly believe that people who say things like that have good intentions. But what they're saying is just not helpful for people to hear. Cancer is a tragic disease that has caused the loss of many people we love, including my own father. As Steve Hainer wrote, death hurts because we were made for life. That's why when my friend and colleague, uh, Dale Sewell, was diagnosed with a brain tumor a few years ago and started writing about his experience, I loved that he titled his blog, Breathtakingly Suckworthy News. He got it absolutely right. Cancer is indeed breathtakingly suckworthy news. But even in such bleak situations, it's possible for God's children to say thank you. That's because there's a big difference between happiness and joy. As Steve Hainer said, joy is dependent on who I am and how I am loved more than on my circumstances. It is happiness that takes the hit when circumstances go bad not joy. Happiness is dependent on how things are going. When things are going well, we're happy. When they're not, happiness evaporates. However, joy is different. In the New Testament, joy comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. And if you add the prefix eu, which means good, you get the word Eucharist, good grace, or good surprise gift of love. It's the word for thanksgiving. Joy, then, is being thankful for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that's why it's possible to rejoice and be thankful in the midst of difficult circumstances. We can be grateful that God in Jesus Christ has given us new life, something that no disease no prison can ever take away from us. I saw a quote recently that captures this sense. It said, joy is not necessarily the absence of suffering. It is the presence of God. Again, let me be clear. It's not our place to tell people who are suffering how they should feel. I'm not saying that one always needs to be expressing joy. I mean, you may feel like you're still stuck in the pit. You may feel uh, yourself right now in verse 3 rather than verse 11 of Psalm 30. What I am saying is that we're never alone. 
how did Chris put it in his uh, prayer confession? God never forsakes us. We're never alone. God is always with us wherever we are. And because of that, gratitude and praise are possible. I've been struck recently by two people who I've seen live out this sense of joy and thanksgiving in the midst of incredible pain and suffering. One is Kelly Malone, a member of our church who is suffering from brain cancer. One of the Malone family's Caring Bridge posts was titled, Gratitude and Courage. What a wonderful mixture of realism and hope. Both gratitude and courage are possible in that situation because God has not forgotten them. The other person is Steve Hayner, whom I quoted a few moments ago. Steve was formerly a pastor here at UPC and uh, president of Columbia Theological Seminary. When Steve found out that he had pancreatic cancer, he and his wife Cheryl embarked on a journey that included thousands of people visiting their Caring Bridge website. And these writings have been gathered into a book titled Joy in the Journey. Steve was known for signing letters and emails joyfully, and he continued to do so on Caring Bridge. Let me share with you some of what Steve and Cheryl wrote. He says, all life on planet Earth is terminal, and while we can certainly contribute to our own well-being in amazing ways, none of us is ultimately in control. One day, my life, lowercase l, will be swallowed up by life, capital L. And for today, I am choosing truth, joy, and love wherever and however I can. As Psalm 30 says, weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Steve writes, life is lived in the grace of Jesus through and through. Whether the grace is obvious in our immediate circumstances or not, joy is not about my circumstances, but rather about being held and sustained by God's love. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Not suffering, not want, not abundance, not sin, not anything. God loves us from beginning to end and through every circumstance. If there is one thing that I can trust, it is God's love for me in Christ Jesus. In the words of Psalm 30, O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol and restored me to life from among those gone down to the pit. And Steve says, God is the one secure place for my hope because it's not dependent on my changing circumstances. God is so much bigger and more powerful than my circumstances. How very freeing. David in Psalm 30 cries out, you have turned my mourning into dancing and clothed me with joy. And finally, he quotes C.S. Lewis, joy is the serious business of heaven. The praise found in Psalm 30 doesn't spout from naive delusions about life. It comes right out of the depth of pain and suffering. But that pain and suffering 
is seen from a different perspective. Wherever we are, whatever our circumstances, we are always surrounded by God's love. So, thanksgiving is a practice as well as a disposition. And secondly, gratitude and joy depend more on God and less on our circumstances. The final reflection I'd like to make concerns the subtitle at the beginning of this psalm. So if you still have your Bibles open, notice what's written in italics right before the psalm begins. This is what it says. A psalm, a song at the dedication of the temple of David. Now the Hebrew word translated temple is simply the word for house. The Hebrew word translated dedication is the word Hanukkah. In the second century BC, Judas Maccabeus uh, led a team of soldiers and cleansed the temple after it was desecrated by Antichius Epiphanes and dedicated it to the Lord. Among other occasions, the Talmud assigns Psalm 30 to be read during the festival of Hanukkah, which is the annual celebration of this event. It's a time for God's people to praise and thank God for his deliverance. Let me share with you another story of the dedication of God's house at another time and in another place. So when I was in seminary, uh, I had an opportunity to serve as a year-long intern at the Yongnok Presbyterian Church in Seoul, Korea. Now, UPC is a large church, one of the largest in the state. But Yongnok, at the time, was the largest Presbyterian church in the world with 60,000 members. Way beyond a megachurch, we call that a meta-church. Yongnok was an amazing place to work. Uh, they had 25 pastors and 23 additional assistant pastors on staff, and they were all overworked. There were five Sunday morning services with five different full choirs, one for each service, uh, as well as a Sunday evening service. The church operated its own high school, its own orphanage, a prayer retreat center, and a senior citizen's home. I joined a weekend retreat just for graduating seniors from high school. There were over 500 students that attended. To state the obvious, Yongnok Presbyterian Church was a mighty, impressive organization. But it didn't start out that way. Instead, it began in a much humbler situation in a weak, impoverished country. The Yongnok Church was established by Reverend Kyungchik Khan and 27 fellow believers who had come down from Soviet-occupied North Korea. By the way, Dr. Han was the first Asian graduate from Princeton Theological Seminary. The first worship service was held on December 2nd, 1945, shortly after the Japanese occupation of Korea ended with their defeat in World War II. But then came the Korean War, which lasted from 1950 to 1953, and 
absolutely devastated the country. After the Korean War ended, Yongnok Church was in the process of rebuilding itself. Many Korean Christians who had lost everything in the war, including their churches and their homes, made a commitment to come together and build a new church to dedicate a new house of God as quickly as possible. I heard a story once that uh, the Reverend Robert Boyd Munger, who at one point was the senior pastor here at UPC, visited Yongnok at, at that time, and he was just amazed to see thousands of people streaming into uh, a worship service in a freezing building that had no heat. He turned and asked the pastor of Yongnok, Dr. Han, why so many people had come to worship in such harsh conditions. Dr. Han replied that many of these people had given money to build the church before they had even built their own homes. He then turned to Bob Munger and he said, even though we do not have much, we have Jesus Christ and he is enough. Friends, the good news is that we also have Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can be thankful and joyful in all circumstances. We have Jesus Christ, and he is enough. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are a God who offers us life, who remembers us when we are in Sheol, and he restores us to life when we are in the pit. Though weeping may linger for the night, we thank you that joy comes with the morning. Thank you that you've turned our mourning into dancing. Lord, we give thanks to you forever, for we know that we have Jesus Christ, and he is enough. In his name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.